Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Collinson, worldwide leaders in loyalty creating and orchestrating loyalty initiatives and programs for some of the world's biggest brands in travel, retail and financial services. Doing it globally for over 30 years. Want to know more? Go to collinsongroup.com. Hello and welcome to episode 228 of Let's Talk Loyalty. A conversation with Chief Product Officer of IAG Loyalty, Stephen Scott. Now, for anyone who doesn't know the brand, IAG stands for the International Airline Group, which was created in 2011 when British Airways and the Spanish airline Iberia merged together. As part of the formation of that new airline group, IAG also created a new unified loyalty currency called Avios for its airline partners, as well as a dedicated loyalty division, which has now been operating in various forms for over 30 years. In today's discussion, I learned a lot about some of the big ideas that are evolving right now for loyalty programs in terms of their new and emerging propositions for members. For example, the e-commerce model allowing members to earn and burn even when they're not flying, or through to dramatically simplifying how members earn their avios using card linking. And of course, we also chat about some of the latest ideas like NFTs that we're all beginning to wonder about for our industry. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and the latest insights on how loyalty models are evolving in my conversation with IAG Loyalty. So, Mr. Stephen Scott, or I think affectionately known as Scotty, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Great to have you, Scotty. So we have some wonderful topics to cover today. Uh, one year on from when your CEO, Adam Daniels, talked to us. So a huge amount of stuff going on with IAG Loyalty. Before we get into all of that, Scotty, I want to ask you, as always, please tell me what is your favorite loyalty program? Well, I'm actually going to go pretty retro on this one and say that my favourite loyalty programme is Green Stamps by Sperry and Hutchinson. Wow. Um, and I, I, let me quantify that a little bit. Um, yeah, the reason yeah. I, lo- I, I love it because of the simplicity. It yeah. started, it gave retailers a way of providing loyalty in 1896. Wow. Um, and it was still going in the 80s. Um, wow. And in, and in the 60s, it really created the first gamification. I know that everyone, anyone who's been involved in digital like me for the last 20 years or so yeah. thinks, that we, thinks that we invented gamification. But gamification was there with green stamps where they they essentially created this reward catalogue and a family book. And you had to fill in the family book with stamps. And if you yeah. got your family there first, you were competing with your neighbours. And it was a bit of a status thing. Everyone wanted to compete and win. So they created gamification in a world that wasn't digital at all. And yeah. I love that. And I think the coffee companies have done pretty well with it. I still like my Nero 
card that I stamp as well, yeah. which is uh, very basic and very simple. But I think there's an awful lot we can learn in, in digital experiences from that simplicity. And that's, yeah. I think, the basis of how we take things forward. If I think of our reward app and things like that, we've really taken that forward yeah. and started to use some of that simplicity in the digital environment. So it's great for our brand and it's uh, it's good to get back to basics and continue to think about simplicity. And Green Stamps had all of that in droves. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, you're preaching to the converted, Scotty, because... I think there's a lot of us in loyalty, as you said, actually, we think we invented it, particularly, I suppose, with our airline backgrounds. And, you know, certainly we know that, um, you know, points, I suppose, came through the airline industry. But I hadn't realized it was 1896 that Green Stamps started. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. It's unbelievable. That's what, 126 years, if my maths is correct? Yeah, it is indeed. It's a wow. long time. And I have time. a bit of trivia, uh, Scotty, and I, you know, don't normally have random bits of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember reading that at one point, green stamps in the United States were, there were more of those in issue than the United States Postal Service. That's correct. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is true. There were more. Yeah. And they had there lots of different names. Was there a UK version of green stamps under a different name or did they use the same brand name? I can't remember. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not certain, actually. I think mm. they used the same version for a period okay. of time, but it was yeah. primarily known in the States, right? It was huge. It was unbelievable. America. Yeah. Well, thank you now. I do think we needed a bit of retro um, just to bring us back to basics. I love the concept of simplicity and the fact that, you know, those green stamps literally were issued to, I think, every significant retailer in the United States, as we said, you know, over 100 years ago, is, is quite extraordinary and a testament to the power of how consumers actually want to be recognized for being loyal. So yeah. hopefully means we all have plenty of work to, to, to keep is busy. Absolutely. <laughs> Great on stuff. Our toes. It definitely does, Scotty. So listen to me. When we had the conversation last year with them, um, as I said, your CEO, Adam Daniels, uh, was on talking about, I suppose, a lot of what was uh, changing and evolving and coming through in the midst of the pandemic. And we're 13 months on. Thank God we feel, I suppose, an awful lot better, most of us. But there was a couple of big changes and evolutions that were very impressive, I think, particularly, you know, from an Avios and IAG perspective. Things like e-store coming through and lots of the behaviors really changing back then. So I thought it'd be useful just maybe to start by picking up on, you know, what do you see happening with consumer behavior in terms of loyalty currency through the likes of eStore at the moment? Sure, that's a really good question. I mean, I'll start by saying that we, through the pandemic, just to sort of reiterate what Adam went through when we were last on a, a year ago, that through the pandemic, we did see changes in buying behavior. And as much as loyalty programs, you know, we, we live by our rewarding experiences and, our, and the flying behaviors, we're also seeing a lot going on in retail and a lot of change going on across sectors in the in the adoption of the currency and, and how people use it. Mm. And I think eStore is just an example of where people who are collecting every day and not always collecting flying are getting engaged and using an everyday mechanic for collecting Avios. And we've seen that seen that continue. So if I'll give you an give you to give you an idea post-pandemic, during the first quarter of 22, eStore is still growing. Um, in, a, in the same way as it was during the pandemic. You think when people start to find the travel coming back and they can collect in other ways, maybe it would slow down. It hasn't slowed down at all. Yeah. We're up 7% seven, seven versus 
was the same period last year during the pandemic. And wow. we're up about 14% versus 2019. So even pre-pandemic numbers were up. And yeah. that just shows you the level of engagement in loyalty and how people are using loyalty differently post-pandemic. Yeah. So it's, it's still really going from strength to strength, particularly in the retail space. And I think the everyday angle of the loyalty program has grown throughout the pandemic. People have found different ways of engaging with loyalty during the pandemic that mm. they couldn't before. And we, you know, we're, we're looking at hopefully a great year as travel comes back as well and adds another lens to that and we get back to the numbers that we were seeing before on the travel side. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear, Scotty. And I know the e-store has been around for a good many years now. Some wonderful brands. Yeah. Was it 2006? Am I right? Well, do you know what? I can I can tell it was 2005 that we first created it, but it had 36 merchants on it back then. Wow. Um, it was actually created, <laughs> a stat you may not know, it was actually created in my team when I worked wow. at Air Miles many years ago. Yeah. But uh, yes, it's been around a long time and yeah. gone from strength to strength. And it's gone through many different guises during that period, as you can imagine, with uh, of course. You know, the whole smartphone era coming out in the middle of it, as an example. Yeah, yeah. And I think you made that point last time we talked, Scotty. It's almost like I think there was that education piece where all of us needed to realize why we should change our buying behavior to start within an e-store environment. And once you do that and realize you're getting rewarded for something you wanted to do anyway with incredible brands, I think you're up over uh, a thousand merchants. Is it at this point, Scotty? We're actually over 1,500 now. Wow. Um, we, okay. we grow We grow about 20 to 30 merchants a month. And wow. bear, in, bear in mind when you've already got 1,500, that's really brand new brands or yeah. it's people who have just become part, part of an affiliate program who weren't there before. But it is yeah. growing fast. Yeah. You, can pretty, you can pretty much get in touch with any brand you'd want to for any product you'd want to. Mm. And I think what's, what's changed more is the simplicity of using it with the British Airways Rewards app. Um, mm. We've got rewards apps with several airlines that we run the e-store for. Yeah. Um, and the, it's, it's that passive behavior that you talk about. When, when we were in an online and on-screen environment only, mm. or as much as you, you would go to um, e-store if you were engaged, if you didn't know what e-store was, it was very hard to make that jump from searching on Google for a product you wanted yeah. to going to e-store to look for a brand and then go back in. Yeah. But in, in the smartphone environment, particularly in the rewards app environment, that is really straightforward. It's, a, it's, you know, it's simple taps and you're through to the merchant and you're buying your product. It's much more slick than it used to be. And obviously with notifications on your phone, you understand when you're receiving your Avios in a much more dynamic way as well. Yeah. So it's really much easier. Back to our simplicity point, it's really much easier to interact with now. Um, yeah. And much easier to earn more and more Avios. And I mean, you know, as I think about everyone listening to us having this conversation, Scotty, I think there's so many loyalty programs that maybe haven't added in this kind of concept of an e-store just yet. Um, You know, as we said, it's been around a long time, definitely maturing, I would say, in my view, in the US and the UK, but still seems to have massive potential as something that almost every loyalty program should have as an option for their members. that be fair to say? Or am I am I going too far? No, I think I think what it brings to loyalty members is a and, and to loyalty programs as a whole is a regular day to day interaction. I mean, people yeah. are buying in retail every day, 
And yeah. if, you're, if your members are buying retail things every day, why shouldn't they collect points on that and be rewarded for their behavior? And yeah. so I do think it's a core part of any loyalty program. It brings your brand front of mind. It mm. creates more engagement. It's increasingly more interesting for, for your members to be able to reward, to, to be able to earn more points. Yeah. And then they can, and then obviously that brings the reward closer and the whole cycle of loyalty in, increases. So yeah, yes. it's definitely something that should be core, I think. Wonderful. So a virtuous circle, I think we can call it. Absolutely. Huh? I think we can call it that. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. And the other one, which I've often said on the show is my favorite, I suppose, innovation as a consumer. So even if I never worked in the industry, this whole card linking proposition, again, with the idea that I have to maybe once just link my card as my loyalty identifier, but then that becomes a really simple way, I guess, to earn offline as well. So I'd love to hear how things are going with card linking in, on your side. Sure. I mean, we treat them as one, right? We, we, we take the concept, back to our simplicity angle, we take the concept that all of our customers shop. And because all of our customers shop, they want to shop in different ways and they don't want too many things breaking into that journey. To your point earlier, the more we can be part of their natural buying behavior, the mm. more likely they are to get to collect more points and that's better for them yeah. um, in terms of getting to a rewarding experience faster. So it's it's a... Card linked offers allows you to do that. You you go into our reward app, you put your you link your card once, and from that moment on, all merchants that we are signed up with, you can use that you can use that card and you will earn Avios mm. um, it, when you're in an in-store experience. And it's something we just didn't have in the past. It's just a much simpler mechanic for collecting. Yeah. The the for for reward programs and loyalty programs themselves obviously the challenge is getting as many merchants on that network as you can as many retailers involved on that network as you can and that's growing really fast and you know Collinson help us with their sales networks helps us with that and mm -hmm. continues to okay uh, it's something it's something they do very well yeah um, and we work very closely with them on it and what kind of brands do you have for example Scotty using card linking and card linking offers specifically there yeah, sure. I mean, it really ranges. We've got restaurants, we've got high street stores. We're adding probably 10 to 20 a month at the moment, so quite a few. Mm. Um, think people like Harvey Nichols, we've got Gaucho, we've got Spaghetti House, we've got Jojo Mama and Bebe. Mm. There's, um, there's many different um, offers in there. And as I say, it's a growing network. We're growing it all the time. So mm. look out for more as it comes as it comes in. Definitely, definitely. And and what I always feel like is, yes, something in the offline world takes a long time, I guess, for, you know, to get the paperwork done, to get everything signed up. And I guess to educate the merchants as well on the reasons that they might start, you know, I suppose, creating offers specifically for users. And then the upside, once they get it, I think it's uh, it just multiplies in terms of their, their usage of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the separation between us and the and the mobile phone carrier propositions is that once members registers, it's automatic, right? They don't need to opt into the offers each time the offers come available. They're there all the time, and it's passive. Yeah, and that's you know that that is growing. How many people want to do it? You know, we're forty four percent up year on year in wow. members in members who've linked their card. Wow! So you can see there's an appetite for the product. Yeah, um, and the total number of cars linked is about forty-one percent up year on year. So it's a it's growing at a fair rate. People put more than one card in there. Quite a few, quite a few of our members have got two plus cards in there. So okay, it's, uh, interesting. It's growing well.
Yeah, for sure. And again, in preparation for today, Scotty, I went onto the IAG website just to get a sense of, I suppose, the scale of where you guys are at. And I saw a wonderful number, uh, very different to when I worked with Avios, 35 million collectors you guys have now. That's right. We do. We've got 35 million members globally. We run um, across multiple programs. And I think that's probably the biggest change with IG Loyalties. We, we launched IG Loyalties as a brand in 2020. And as you know yeah. from when Adam was on here, we've got a rich history in um, multiple different names across the company. But uh, that was really to show that we wanted to do run loyalty programs for multiple sectors and, and more airlines and get involved much more at a broader loyalty program proposition level than just the currency. And we, we've been running the reward currency for many years mm. and we've got a 30-year history in doing that yeah. created millions of memories for members all <laughs> over the world um, yes. of which there's plenty of stats for us I'm sure you can imagine of course um, and and IG loyalty expanding outside of that has given us a uh, it's given us a platform for growth really we're in growth mode at the moment we continue to grow we're doing um, yeah. really well for sure and, uh, you know, I was looking back at your own career history as well, Scotty, and it's almost <laughs> like you've never gone far from either Air Miles, dare I say, Avios, IAG. So definitely in your blood, I guess, is it? It, it is in my blood. I started, I, I'm actually, I'm actually travel industry through and through, I guess. But what you yeah. probably didn't read in my CV is I actually started life as a farmer and then oh. moved into travel. Okay. I, had a late, I had a late career change in my late 20s <laughs> and moved into travel. But okay. uh, the uh, yeah, I've been around the loyalty the loyalty scene for about twenty two years now. Um, majority of it in e commerce and digital. So yeah. I, my first role was actually to set up a cash travel agency within a loyalty program. They wanted to separate points and and uh, cash, mm. and and from there moved much more into into Air Miles. At the time, was part of the team that created AirMiles.co.uk. Yeah. And the rest is history, as they say. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely yeah. legendary. I mean, I still think, you know, one of the challenges of, you know, rebranding something as powerful as you had to something new like Avios, it's just actually nobody wants to let go of the old brand name because there's still a lot of brand yeah. value in it, you know. And I think you, right. you managed that rebrand as well, didn't you, Scotty? I was part of the team that worked on the rebrand. Yeah, there was um, obviously there was a team of a few of us um, senior managers that worked on it. But it was yeah. a it was a tough call. But essentially, the the Airmos brand was a franchised brand, um, okay. and we owned we owned the UK franchise. So when British Airways and Iberia merged back in 2010, 2011, yeah, um, we had to make a change if we wanted to run global currency and wanted to be part of running the frequent flyer programs continuously because it was outside of the UK at that point. Okay, so that, that, that makes drove sense. A lot of the, that drove the decisions around the Avios brand. But, For uh, sure. And a wonderful set of airlines then. So British Airways, um, Iberia, you've mentioned. I know Aer Lingus, Vueling. And most recently, um, I think in a slightly different way, but I was delighted to see that Qatar Airways have adopted Avios now as their currency as well. They have indeed. That's right. So we've, uh, we've been working with um, Qatar Airways over the years, as you know, and British Airways has a very strong relationship with Qatar as well. Yeah. Um, and we've uh, we decided that uh, we wanted to amalgamate the currency or, or for Qatar to start using the currency between us. 
Yeah. Um, and that went live earlier this year, as you've, as you've seen. It's an exchange um, relationship, so you can move your Avios also within between the clubs using our exchange products. Okay. Um, so you can use your your Avios that you earn through the Privilege Club and your Avios that you earn through the British Airways Executive Club. You can combine those and buy flights with them yeah. at point of purchase um, and also separately at uh, um, on BritishAirways.com using the exchange products. Super, super. Um, it's been and a great partnership. It really is. And Qatar is hugely well-respected airline, um, I, certainly globally, and but particularly, of course, living here in the Middle East, I, I really get to see exactly what they're doing. But of course, you know, a younger airline and Q Miles, I don't think ever really had the brand recognition, of course, that something like Avios had. So it certainly was a big coup for you guys. So uh, congratulations on that one. Thank you very much. I think that, yeah, certainly the power of the Avios brand um, yeah. was part of that equation. And it, obviously the global presence of the brand is uh, is growing as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, for, I think for QR, they can offer their members a wide range of benefits now um, mm. as a result of taking it. And it supports that, you know, they've got huge business development ambitions, I'm sure, and it supports those too. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned the exchange mechanic as well there, Scotty. This is something, again, I think consumers are increasingly excited about. So this is obviously something you guys identified as an important development um, for all of us, I guess, as loyalty program owners and members, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes from a pretty sort of basic idea that within the group, within the group of airlines um, IAG has, we've always offered the ability for what we call Combine My Avios, which is bringing Avios from different programs together mm. into one place and then using them. Mm. What we've done more recently is allow other currencies to exchange with Avios and bring those into um, the Avios pool as well. So being able to, we've got two mechanics. We've got one that just exchanges Avios from one account to another. And certainly the Qatar relationship is using that. You can move your Avios from Privilege Club into um, British Airways Executive Club, et cetera, to use them, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But also we're using it to exchange other points into Avios as well. And probably the best example of that is Nectar. Um, we launched with Nectar and Sainsbury's uh, partnership in January 2021. Um, and, you know, there's strong online, strong retail behaviours that customers do. Yeah. And it gives members the opportunity to convert next points into Avios. And now they can plan some incredible travel memories as well as the things that they're doing with their next points in retail. Yeah. Um, and it's built around the exchange product. That that was made possible by the exchange product that we put in place. And mm. we've had a we've been going through a digital transformation for, for about three years prior to building some of these things on top of the platform. Mm. And that has allowed us to, to create these different mechanics faster. We build everything as if we're going to provide it to external partners as well as internal partners. And oh, that nice. gives us the ability to move quickly when we do want to do partnerships with new, with new yeah. businesses. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about your experiences with digital transformation, Scotty, because it's such a hot topic. And I think so many of us struggle with exactly, I suppose, what it means and, and what success looks like. But even just before that, um, for anyone listening who mightn't be aware, I guess Nectar is probably the biggest loyalty program in the UK. Would I be would I be right in saying that purely because it is a coalition model um, owned and operated by, by Sainsbury's now? It is a coalition model operated by Sainsbury's. Obviously, it was um, operated independently Previously. when it first came out. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it was Keith Mills himself, I believe. Um, 
about 10 years, I think it was about 10 years to the day after he left the air miles business <laughs> that, he created, wow. uh, yeah. that he created Nectar. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a huge retail loyalty program. It's a really important partner for us. I'll yeah. give you a, I can give you a great stat on it, actually. Um, Ooh, go on. Mem- members who've converted Nectar into Avios have yeah. collectively travelled on enough reward flights to travel around the world 20,000 times already oh. <laughs> in the first year of launch. Oh, my God, that's amazing. So it's going very, very well. It, it totally, totally is. And, you know, I think you're speaking to somebody certainly who wants to fly around the world. Totally. <laughs> that's right, exactly, <laughs> and does. Quite regularly, I'm sure. <laughs> I certainly do my best. Yeah. Well, I, I often think, you know, with the, you know, the everyday benefits, obviously, of a coalition like Nectar are extremely powerful for people to collect. But you do need the aspirational travel benefits. I mean, it's just that's what all of us, I think, pretty much want in some shape or form. Even if we never actually redeem for travel, if we'd redeem for something else, I do believe it has an important inspiration role to play. So really cool to hear what, what you guys are doing with uh, with Nectar. Yeah, it's great. I mean, if you think of some of the barriers that loyalty pro- frequent flyer programs have had in the past is the time it takes for people who aren't frequent flying to build up their points and to yeah. get enough to do something meaningful. And I think all of the ways of exchanging, using the exchange products, all of the ways that we're growing in partnerships now and some of the me- mechanics we've got within the reward app for collecting just mm. mean that you can speed that up much more than you could in the past. And it allows people through everyday shopping to get re- reward flights and, and to get experiences much quicker. Totally. Yeah. I remember when I very first started collecting points and I was actually at Emirates at the time. And I remember kind of describing when I noticed my behavior and it was on a credit card. I was I was kind of like a points junkie. You know, I was just yeah, like fully hooked once I got it. I mean, there's no going back. It's it's an incredibly powerful driver of behavior change, as we all know. Absolutely. Wow. So tell us about the digital transformation then, Scotty. Um, I think listeners know, you know, I worked, you know, I suppose um, on the outskirts um, of Avios in Ireland on some non-airline partnerships. And that was many years ago. So that was kind of six years ago. And it definitely needed, I think, a digital transformation, which it sounds like has gone wonderfully well. So tell us about your journey with that over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I think, I came in. I came back into Avios um, about five years ago, and I think it's fair to say when we, at that point, we were still very much a heritage business in terms of our systems real estate. Mm-hmm. I think we had um, we had we had all of the things you'd expect from a spending Avios and, and flying capability and hotel capability, car capability, but it'd been there a long time. And yeah. whilst it was very good in the time it was there, it was really built for a for UK programs or for singular programs. Mm. And at the time, we felt that we we had the aspiration to become IG loyalty and to be someone who provides loyalty programs for multiple programs and was able to interact with any sector and with many airlines. And our airline base, remember, by that point had grown quite significantly. We already had five airlines, six airlines in the group that we were starting to interact with. So, that, so whereas beforehand we needed to do things singularly, now we mm. needed to do them on a much more broad scale. Yeah. And our, our digital transformation was really the enabler for that. So we said we need to create a platform that is exposable um, to anyone um, mm-hmm. and that our business strategy will drive who uses it, not the technology itself being a constraint to how people can use it. Mm. Um, and that's what started the process. Um, it's, it's been a wholesale change across the company, if I was, Paula. It's, uh, um, 
it's our it's been our finance process, our governance processes, our organisational um, structures, um, the way that we build in a more much more agile way. Um, we run product teams, which are mixed teams. Um, are with, and when I say mixed teams, I mean mixed discipline teams. There are okay. yeah. business KPIs, technologists, marketeers, and um, product strategy and developers and delivery all in one team. So you have much more speed of taking something from a from a business goal or a value that you want to create right through to a delivery. And that is ongoing um, standing teams. So when you think of things like eStore, that's why we're able to deliver so many merchants so quickly and continually grow what we're doing in that space. The same with CLO, the same with our um, spend capability, our reward app capability. We're delivering features on a, on a continuous basis into market now, rather than doing these kind of stop start and three months, every three months, there's something new. It's, it's on a, either a continuous integration every day or mm-hmm. in the apps case, obviously, because apps are a bit, take a bit longer to, uh, to go through the editorial processes every couple of weeks. So yeah. it's really it's really speeded up how we put value in front of our members faster, and that that's really the goal of it is how to put high quality things in front of customers faster than you could before. Yeah, and would you say in the beginning? I mean, a lot of people would say that there's you know cultural challenges, particularly. So I don't think it's usually the technology that causes issues for companies, or even the intention of wanting to work in an agile way, but how did you find the, um, I suppose, the, you know, adoption of it with people internally who many of us, again, have been in the industry many years and very familiar with how the the existing um, technology stack perhaps works. How was that within IAD? Did you find that that was a challenge? Yeah, I think it's I think it's always a challenge. Culture you mentioned is is always a challenge, and I think there's there's many ways you can approach it. But I think our approach was you, you focus on outcomes rather than on the process. Mm-hmm. I think where people go wrong with digital transformation is they focus very much on the, the perfect process they want to create, and not so much on the outcomes that you want to create. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on the outcomes, you tend to more iteratively go about the process. Mm-hmm. And when you more, more iteratively go about the process you give people more time to buy into it and understand it and see where it adds value to them. Yeah. And you you can't do that if you try and do it too fast to just try and get everyone to go into a new process or, or create a process without them understanding the value it gives to them and to, to the rest of the business. Mm. We built a lot, The other thing that we did from a technology perspective, I think, I'll take your point on, you know, you, you can't um, – it's very hard with the technology stacks you have. Yeah. One of the things, the beauty of the loyalty program is it is fairly light and we had the ability to build new um, new technology in a new stack and mm. then migrate migrate to it rather than trying to evolve the old systems that we that we know and love. Yeah. So we, we very much built the new and then migrated to it, which gave us the ability to do a lot more in cloud, a mm. lot more, a lot more modern technology sets, use mm. the latest tools bringing people who wanted to work on those latest tools, which is obviously part of the challenge as well. Mm. Um, and now I think, you know, we're, we're able to evolve our technology at a fast pace and continue that evolution journey without it being any big step or big bang approach in future. Because yeah. we constantly evolve out of, out of technical debt and, and build cloud-native products. 
But the, the ultimate goal is, you know, how do you get outcomes in front of your customers faster? Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you, I, I believe you have to make a holistic business change and work in a totally different way across the business. Because let's that's, that's not forget, it's our, it's our business processes that dictate a lot of our speed, as well mm-hmm. as our technology ones, as you say. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> definitely yes. makes a big difference to our customers, well- I hope. For sure. And and I know it predated COVID, for example, Scotty, whereas for other people, I think COVID was the trigger for the transformation. They had to go to e-commerce or they had to go to things that you guys were already doing. So would you say that the pandemic did accelerate even further in terms of your digital transformation or was that less of an issue given that you'd already, I suppose, started a lot along that track? It's a really good question. I, I think where it accelerated much more was we had we've we've been doing digital transformation in software engineering for some time mm. i think what what accelerated during the pandemic and as for all of us as we were all on video screens for many times was the use of digital tools for our everyday life at work yeah um so people who weren't necessarily involved with technology in their day to day started using technology much more for video conferencing for how they interacted with people for how they talked to people around the building you know the adoption of things like teams chat as opposed to email just speed yeah. up the community communication processes across the business yeah. and there were there's many more groups and many more things our people team particularly have been involved in creating a lot more communication through mm. digital tool sets and as a result that communication speed means things get done quicker for, uh, better more mm. collaboratively so mm. those are all be- definitely digital transformation inside the workplace and inside the culture I think has been uh, has dramatically changed during the pandemic mm. and it's certainly grown our, our our digital transformation and our agile evolution as we call it within the company in terms of culture change it's definitely driven some of that for sure yeah yeah and i know you have this passion for innovation as well scotty and again when i looked a bit back in your i suppose history with iag in other roles there was also one i remember really liking at the time which was purely focused on innovation which was hangar 51 and actually just, you know, remembers that. I wondered if it's still operating or, you know, is that program, which I think was literally designed to see, you know, how can we innovate the whole travel business, I guess, um, or journey for customers. Is that something that's, uh, that's still in operation? It is indeed. Yeah, it goes from strength to strength, Hangar 51. It's it's been an amazing journey. So we kicked kicked Hangar 51 off just to to interact with startups and give startups a front door with their technology to talk to airlines because it's very hard. If you're a new business, it's very, very hard to know who to speak to and and get passed around the houses within large organisations. Yeah. once that front door was created, we had a, we had many people jump through it. We got I think I think the first program was 2016. We got about 650 applications from memory. I think it was about wow, that. that's amazing. So it was, it was yeah. really 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 successful program, and and that led to many other things. It led to incubating with startups, as our carriers do quite a bit of incubation with startups, and by that I mean sort of more longer, more six months agreements where they're trying to prove a prototype or understand whether something to modern technology can work for our business in some way yeah um and we also started um we did made some and you probably would have seen in the press we, we made some investments in startups through hangar 51 as well and it has a it has a corporate venture capital arm which was yeah um which has also made some some good investments and, and had some really good learnings for us in, in several spaces actually wow um, so yeah it's been a, it's been really successful really mm. enjoyed the time setting that up, it was uh, really exciting seeing a lot of the innovations out there as well. I mean, there's so much out there. 
Um, I think it's a really it's a clever strategy. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's probably the only way that we can save ourselves from our own legacy mentality, I guess, of, you know, <laughs> we know how things work and we're probably skeptical of anybody really trying to rock the boat too much um, when there's so much at stake. But I guess that is what the startup community brings to, to the whole world of business. So I have been watching it with interest. I'm delighted to hear that it's still up and running and sounds like it's just a huge success for you guys. Yeah, it's gone very well. I think. Um Hopefully it will continue for for much longer. I mean, it's a it's a great way of interacting with the business and and to get to get a foot in the door to understand. You get to work on some really interesting projects. I mean, the, the yeah. as you know, the industry has many different facets and many different parts to it, from logistics in cargo through to the way we process data and how we do, yeah, um, how we use data to the customer experience and the commercial end to the airport operations. I mean, there's so many different fields that startups can try and bring innovation to, and it just helps do that. It's, it's for sure. Yeah. And I think we all know the travel journey is never as perfect as we'd like it to be. So, I mean, every time I go through an airport, I'm, I'm looking for ways that, you know, how could it be easier for us? Because, you know, whether it's safety, security or shopping, you know, all of the various pressure points that happen in that kind of travel environment, there's just amazing opportunities to make it better all the time. So, yeah, definitely have to Absolutely. keep tuned into that. Definitely. On the subject of innovation then, Scotty, I know we briefly talked about NFTs last time we met. <laughs> and I'm still, I, I'm going to say I'm on the fence, Scotty, in terms of whether whether I want to go rush out and build something, buy something, sell something. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> You're still trying to work out what you want to do with it. <laughs> totally. I mean, I, I think I've got the de dictionary definition so far, so I haven't made much progress, but it's clearly a hot topic and one that uh, I know that you're excited about. So tell us, yeah, tell us about NFTs in, in the world of loyalty. I think... I think innovation is exciting in general because you, you never really know if you're on the cusp of something or it's, a, or it's a crazy idea that needs to go away again. And these things are really just an idea, right? They're always constructed from something. So yeah, I, think, yeah. I think my, my view on it at the moment is what we're seeing in the market is a, a generation coming through that their main social interaction is online. It's not in person. And we yeah. see that through the social media channels, and we also see it through the gaming platforms. Um, yeah. And how you know, an example would be my teenage son spends most of his time communicating with his friends through his gaming platform. Yeah, um, they have headsets and they're talking to each other. They're often not even playing the game; they're just talking to each other as, yeah. of an evening, so everyone can join it. Yeah, and if you if you take that as a concept, it's not too much of a leap to say that generation will, if there was a virtual world that they could actually see versions of themselves, avatars, whatever you want to call it, together yeah. at yeah. the same time that they're talking together, it's not too much of a leap for them. Yeah. So when you think of things like meta going on in Facebook and you think of the types of things that are going on in the market around the metaverse, you know, concerts, yeah. retail, restaurant booking, whatever it may be, yeah. you can start to see that this new world is being played with. And I think that's the, the way to describe it is in gaming, it's probably getting a bit, it's a lot bit more serious and a bit more mature, but I certainly see a lot of retailers starting to play with how could this world work for us? If mm. it does become something that's mainstream, if people are going to be meeting in a virtual mall rather than in a real mall, my shop needs to be there, right? So yeah, yeah. what's that going to look like? 
And I think there's there's some strategic stuff going on in companies around the metaverse for that reason. Is it Web3? Is it is it the next generation? Is it how the next generation are going to interact online rather than looking through flat screen websites? Mm. It's a much more immersive experience. Yeah. And then you've got the more tactical part of it, which is NFTs, yeah. um, which is... It's, it seems it's not tactical in, in the sense that it is part of that metaverse and it's probably part of the currency conversation about which currencies are going to be used in there. But you see retailers testing it with selling things for NFTs, selling virtual items as well as physical items, building stores in the metaverse and, and allowing people to go and experience their product in a virtual way. Mm. And so I think, you know, we, we are... We pride ourselves at IG Loyalty on being loyalty pioneers. And if you're a loyalty pioneer right now, I think you've got to be looking at pioneering things. Yeah. And this is something that everyone's grappling with and trying to find where their hook is and, and how they need to be involved. And I think for us, it's a really exciting place to be too. Yeah. So we're we're having a look at, you know, how does how does how does the retail experience with a currency or with a loyalty currency fit within the metaverse? And there's lots of potential in there. Mm. Um, we'll see once the technology advances and there's more tech providers in there. But I think, you know, Ethereum's at the centre of it and crypto's at the centre of it at the moment. There's some interesting things going on with, you know, what I've described as pure digital currencies, essentially, in that space. So it's something that we're we're yeah. really yeah. interested in. Me, I'm particularly interested in just because it's fun as well. And, totally. Uh, yeah. It's fun to explore these new things and see what they have hold for us. And I do remember talking to somebody outside of the industry who was just a bit of a, a Bitcoin expert about five years ago, Scotty. And, you know, and again, exactly to your point, I thought, why don't I buy one just for fun? And, you know, and, and in all sincerity, I thought that I could afford one. <laughs> yeah. And, even back then, it was it was I think six thousand US dollars, and I don't know where it is today. I mean, I've seen it go crazy. Yeah, I think you. I think you'd have been up on your six thousand dollars <laughs> today, although it is taking a bit of a pounding the last few weeks. But I think totally. it's somewhere, somewhere around twenty thousand pounds today. Somewhere oh it's 20, 25 thousand pounds today. So what's that? $33,000, somewhere around there. Oh, my God. Well, if I'd had my $6,000. <laughs> lesson learned, she says. Yeah, who knows? Absolutely. My goodness. Yeah, no. Equally, it's, um, as you said, it's it's one to take, you know, alongside all of the things that we know work in the current world. Um, I liked your analogy, actually, Scotty, of, you know, living in a gaming universe, you know, as a, you know, maybe a teenager, for example, and using that as your default way of, of socializing and that leap into the the metaverse actually it uh, it does make a lot more sense when you think about it that way so so thank you for that perspective i was reading something recently which basically said if you're in business you should be you know kind of partnering with you know a mutually respectful relationship with like a 20 something for example and i think that's exactly the kind of mindset that you guys have to kind of go let's look at what these behaviors are that are not native to us but certainly for people who've grown up as digital natives it's inevitable that they'll spot the opportunities sooner than we will yeah absolutely i think it's i think it's an important part of any team right you need you need a, a real really good mixture of, of experience and those that are coming through with really good new ideas who are living in a slightly different way to you are because they're younger and they're seeing things in different ways and experiencing the world in different ways and i think you yeah. know holding that holding that diverse range of 
um, skills and capabilities together. Mm. It's why it's why diversity and inclusion is so important to us, right? Because we we can we can yeah. gain so much more from having all of those different types of ideas and backgrounds and cultures in the pot when we're making decisions. Exactly. No, good point. So, with all of those said, are there any other, I suppose, um, up and coming ideas that you guys are working on an IAG that you can share, or is it all still under wraps at the moment? It's pretty much under wraps at the moment, but. Okay. Uh, all I'll say is there's much more to come. We're we're very much in growth mode. We're very much looking at the currency growing globally, um, yeah. and we and and in our home markets as well. And we're, it's an exciting year for us. It's, uh, we're really looking forward to what the future holds. Great. So I'm going to put a note in my diary to check back in and do another uh, another conversation maybe next year, Scotty, and see where everything's got to. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Great stuff. Okay. With that said, Stephen Scott, Chief Product Officer at IAG Loyalty. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you for having me. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.